0: This is John Anderchek with Labor Lines, the radio show on KRFP, Moscow, Idaho, and Labor Lines, a podcast now on Anchor FM and other platforms. Joining me again is Eric Dernbach. Uh, Eric and I had a kind of an interesting uh, first uh, uh, session, previous session, which was like a day or so after the insurrection. Uh, and so we, we talked about that, an article he, he had written in, Organizing Work, which you can find online. And we're going to talk about another article today, excuse me. And this was posted on February 18th of this year. And it's titled Union Membership and White Workers' Racial Attitudes. Uh, so, Eric, with that, if you want to kind of give a, whatever introduction to yourself and the article, and we'll get right into it.
1: Yeah. Uh, hey, John, it's, it's great to be back with you. Um, yeah, just, just so folks know, uh, you know my name is Eric Dornbach. I live in New York City and I've worked as a union researcher and organizer and a bunch of other things for for the past 20 years for a number of different unions. I uh, also study kind of uh, labor unions and labor membership and organizing and, and yeah, you and I talked, uh, you know, almost two months ago, it was like, it was the day after the attack on the Capitol and, you know, we had a great discussion and it's funny because like after that discussion, I started thinking more about the issues we're going to talk about today. Uh, I did some more research and then I wrote that article. So it's actually very nice to be back to, to, to discuss this new article with you.
0: Yes. Great to have you. I, kind of, I was going to paraphrase uh, Dickens from uh, the tale Two cities, uh, you know, with the best of times, the worst of times. Uh, everything has changed nothing has changed since uh january 6th so um, here we go
1: yeah no i think it's right um so just to, to introduce this idea um you know so so we have that discussion about the the attack on the u.s Capitol. i think brought up a renewed discussion about the motivation of trump supporters right now trump is out of office but you know he has a large coalition which is still a powerful political force and he might you know, continue to be active in politics. Maybe he'll even run again. Um, now, his coalition is, you know, it's like over 70 million people voted for him. And his coalition is kind of broad, and it includes people like white nationalists, right? These kind of very conservative folks. Uh, they promote a vision of a white country, you know, often within a conservative Christian worldview. Uh, now, this is not to say that every Trump supporter is a white nationalist. Of course not. Hopefully very few of them are. Um, this is not to say that every Trump supporter is a racist, I would say that's not true either. So it it is a complicated coalition. But here's some statistics that that I looked up after our discussion. So in the 2020 election, Trump, you know, did draw the support of a majority of upper class voters, which I think is interesting. This is not just a working class phenomenon, but he also got 44% of voters with income less than 50,000 and 67% of white voters without a college degree. So I think we can conclude that, you know, there's certainly tens of millions of white workers that have some version of conservative politics and were Trump supporters. Now, it's very complicated and people have diverse reasons for that. And again, I'm not saying that all Trump supporters are white nationalists or are racist. I'm saying that there's tens of millions of white workers with conservative politics. I think that's pretty uncontroversial. But I'll also say this. Those folks are more susceptible to being organized by white nationalists, right? That would be a huge problem. Because i think white nationalism is a fascist movement we do not want to see that movement grow now in contrast to that we have the labor movement with 14 million members which i believe is, it's a large political force that opposes or can oppose um, uh, the white nationalist movement and we can organize workers in a more progressive direction so i think that's that's the framework for this discussion and uh you know I'll see what you think about that and then i can go and talk about the details of the of the article
0: well, you a great place, right? What uh, percent is truly a white nationalist? And, and those people, I mean, the real uh, hardcore oath keepers, the three percenters, uh, I think you could almost call them as a revolutionary, not conservative uh, in the sense. You know, what are they trying to, uh, you know, conservatives. <clears throat> one definition, excuse me, is, is what are you trying to conserve? And uh, I mean, that you can look upon them as, as a uh, revolutionary. And I do agree that, uh, uh, the labor, uh, movement, uh, unions, uh, which is, you know, to one degree to other, uh, outside, uh, the political process, uh, in, in different countries, in the United States, I mean, it's a separate uh, institution, separate organizations, uh, though regulated by law uh, to a degree or more, um, is, is is can be, and I think I can safely say, is a bulk work against that type of uh, extremism. And uh, I'll just throw this out as I just was speaking with another organizer. And um, as a member of the Laborers Union, I have my differences with our general president, Terence O'Sullivan, but um, I recall in 2008 when he, sent his mailer around about the 2008 election. I read it to my younger daughters and he said, if you cannot vote for Barack Obama due to color of his skin, then as your general president, I'm going to recommend that you reconsider membership in the union. Uh, and so it certainly stands as a bulk work against that type of uh, extremism and, and calls people to play there. And, uh, And offers this great chance, like you say, to um, to uh, uh, bring people into the into the fold, if you will. And uh, and uh, just one more thing I'll throw out there, uh, taking up a little bit of time here, Eric, is um, uh, all those people that voted for Trump. Again, when you talk about the income level and education level, uh, to me, the challenge before us is. We just need to get those millions of people believing that uh, the economy will work for them uh, and more importantly, work for their families as however they're going to describe a family in the 21st century.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's right. That's that's definitely part of the message of kind of what I tried to to write. But let me let me uh, introduce this idea. So there was a paper published last year called Labor Unions and White Racial Politics. And I, I went back and after our conversation, I reread it closely several times. And I thought it was really interesting uh, because th- there's a lot of interesting stuff in there about the labor movement, about what unions do and how it affects racial attitudes. And what they found was that white union members are less racially resentful than white non-union members by you know, something like it was like five to six percent of the racial resentment scale. Now, I'll explain that. This racial resentment scale comes from decades of survey research where they ask folks various questions to get at how white people think about people of color. And you know they, they come up with a score and there's people who are more racially resentful and less racially resentful. So for example, a more racially resentful white person could be somebody that thinks that black people are all lazy and, and stupid, right? And we would fact probably even call that person a racist. Um, but so they have these scores and they've been tracking this over time to see like how these scores go. And they found interestingly, that white union members are less racially resentful than white non-union members, which I think is very interesting. And it makes some sense, um, which I'll explain in a minute. Now they also looked at um, the same group of white union members over time from 2010 to 2016, uh, because they wanted to see, okay, maybe it's the case that union members are just more progressive than non-union members. And therefore they're less racially resentful. Well, they wanted to check. What if you track the same group of people, when they join a union and then over time, what happens to their racial resentment? And they found that it decreased um, by, again, about 5% after they joined a union. And they also saw similar shifts. They saw that those white workers had increasing support for policies that benefit African-Americans, including things like affirmative action programs. So being a union member caused racial attitudes to shift in a good direction, which I found really fascinating and, and very encouraging. Uh, Because that's the kind of thing we'd like to see. Um, Now, they did explore a bunch of reasons why this could be the case. And a few of them are that unions engage in political education of various kinds, including, for instance, the need for racial tolerance and racial equality, right? Even basic things like that. But also unions, or at least good unions, practice multiracial solidarity. In other words, if you have a union local that has black and white workers and Latino workers and others, um, what, the, what a good union would do is you have meetings that had political discussion. You have people working together on committees, talking together, socializing together. And then at the workplace, you have workers of different races working together, fighting together for a good contract, going on strike together, supporting each other in solidarity. When people do that and they win and they're kind of forged in struggle together, um, it's possible and i think likely that racial resentment of the white workers will lessen over time because they're working together with black workers and others and that's exactly what happens within unions which i think is really interesting
0: yeah yeah that's interesting i think of uh, uh right uh affirmative action you know was a real um problematic or more on the political landscape it still is but when it was first initiated especially uh, you know, in places like the trade unions. And, uh, and you know, this is a twofold uh, effort, if you will, uh, Eric, in my opinion, is that uh, not only do you, do you want to uh, educate the white worker on why it's needed, but the unions have to be pushing hard on the front of an expanded economy because uh, it's going to be a lot easier to, uh, uh, you don't want to be, Dividing up that pie in smaller pieces. What you want to do is have a larger pie for all, and uh, you know. So it is kind of a, a two pronged front, if you will.
1: Yeah, certainly, white workers will be more anxious and perhaps more racially resentful if they perceive that something is being taken away from them and given to black workers. I think they, the job of the labor movement is to have folks fight together to 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 increase what they get for everybody by fighting for better union contracts and by organizing. And that's exactly what unions do. I mean, if you look at like the wages and benefits that union workers get, white or black are much better than non-union workers. And that's something that everybody gets, you know, when you're in a union. So it's a a practical example of kind of a class-based approach to fighting for a better world rather than a race-based approach, uh, which actually delivers the goods, right? Uh, As opposed to white nationalism, which I think will not deliver the goods for white workers. They will be fooled. And if if their lives will not be made better, right? So the labor movement is a great alternative for that. Uh, And let me also just say that, so I think the conclusion for all of that is that these results suggest, you know, something really interesting, right? That unions that practice multiracial solidarity and, and have progressive political education are more likely to move conservative white union members towards more progressive attitudes on race, which I think is what we'd want to see. And that means that they're less susceptible, I think, to being organized by white nationalists and they're less susceptible to holding conservative politics in general. Um, and that would be very good for the political situation in this country. Uh, and here's an historical example. This goes back 100 years. I'd love to hear more recent ones. So the the, the industrial workers of the world, the IWW, had a local aid in Philadelphia, uh, which was founded in 1913. And it was the most powerful union among thousands of multiracial dock workers on the waterfront. Philadelphia is my hometown. So yeah. I find this very interesting. Uh, and there's a new book out about the leader of that union, whose name is Ben Fletcher, who was black, uh, and local aid. And I did a review of that book, so I kind of read it closely. And that local, one of the interesting things it did, again, it was multiracial. It had uh, black workers and white workers and immigrant white workers. One key solidarity practice was that it desegregated the work gangs and all union committees and activities. So that made them stronger in their fights with the employers. And also all these workers got to fight and work together. And after years of this, the white workers rejected the idea of having their own whites only local, which was very common at the time. And so you can imagine that these workers might've had all kinds of problematic attitudes about black workers, which again, was very common at the time. But after fighting for years with black workers and winning and getting a, and better benefits and wages on the job and working conditions, um, they did not want to have their own local. So I think this is an example, again, 100 years ago, of white workers that were moved towards more progressive attitudes on race through these kinds of solidarity practices. I think it's just, it's just a great example. And there's so many more. I'd love to I'd love to hear more examples of that. But it's just one thing I wanted to bring up of, of this kind of thing in action. Very
0: yeah. good. Uh, excuse me. So i going to reintroduce. Uh ourselves. Uh, this is John Andercheck with Labor Lines, and Eric Dernbach is with me. He's talking about an article he wrote that was put into Organizing.Work. You can find that on the web. It was posted on February 18th of this year, Union Membership and White Workers' Racial Attitudes. few thoughts, uh, Eric, kind of, kind of expanding maybe on this. Once you get that solidarity built, once you break down those racial barriers— Uh, I'm going to throw this out. You can argue that you're going to have a more effective uh, political force, a more effective front to push for uh, a a broader economic agenda. For example, to to expand that pie uh, to get more work for all the members, uh, because you're going to have a broad based uh, coalition there across racial lines. And, uh, and what you won't have is uh you know re- that resentment uh or or before that even when uh blacks and women were excluded from unions uh i always felt that the move to uh broaden the membership to allow to 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 address those historic problems uh will just make the uh just for uh selfish reasons in effect uh, make for it's better for all union members because you don't have people outside saying, "Yeah, that union wage you're making is great, but I don't get to join the union, so why should I vote union, pro union?"
1: No, absolutely. unions historically had a lot of problems with racism and sexism. They're much better these days, although problems still remain. Uh, but it, but yeah, when unions were sit were considered a white men's club, you know they negotiated you know good things for themselves and everyone else was excluded. And I think there was resentment you know, for years in the building trades and elsewhere when women workers and black workers wanted to be able to join unions. And too many white workers saw this as taking away something from them. Um, whereas I think the better, uh, more productive way of looking at it is, you know, we're going to be stronger together to fight the bosses to get better conditions for everybody. Again, it's a class based approach. I mean, we have a situation where the top, you know, 1% or the top 5 or 10% of the people in this country own the vast majority of wealth. There is plenty there for the rest of us, but we need a multiracial uh, coalition that's going to fight together to get it uh, rather than the false promises of white workers sticking together and keeping everybody else down, right? But, you know, we, we, have, we have an issue, um, you know, in the last election, 40% of union household members voted for Trump. Um, Now, that's lower than the 49% of non-union households. Um, But I would say that 40% is too high. Now, again, people supported Trump for a lot of different reasons. And people often have very complicated politics. I don't want to paint a broad brush. I want to respect the fact that folks may have had good reasons to distrust the Democrats. I distrust the Democrats from the left. Um, Folks might dislike Joe Biden for a number of reasons. Maybe some of them thought Trump represented something new and was going to, you know, for example, fight for better uh, to protect manufacturing jobs or things like that. In my opinion, they were absolutely wrong. Trump could not deliver any real benefits to them. And in fact, that he did it. But I don't want to assume that everyone who voted for Trump did so for bad reasons. Right. But their support for him ignored the absolute hostility over many decades that Republicans have shown toward unions. Now, again, I'm talking about union members supporting Trump. Republicans absolutely want to destroy unions and destroy the labor movement. They are hostile to collective bargaining. They are hostile to the kind of organizing that we want to do. Unions have been the best vehicle to improve wages, benefits, and working conditions and bring some democracy at work. And so to support Trump and Republicans, you're basically saying that none of that is important to me. And I think it's really important to educate folks about how precarious all of this is and that, like, you know, really, we're fighting for our lives here and we're fighting to organize we're fighting to collectively bargain. And I'm not saying you have to blindly support Democrats, but to support Trump and other Republicans means you want to throw a lot of that away, right? And another interesting point that the article brought up, you know, the labor movement has declined over the decades, you know, for a number of reasons that we talked about last time. Now it's just 11% of all workers and about 6% in the in the private sector. Um, very small. And one one consequence of that is that more conservative politics have risen. So you have, I believe, more white workers embracing conservative politics because they're not exposed to labor movement politics, right? It's like what I talked about, the labor movement kind of solidarity that is standard in unions. Fewer and fewer people are experiencing that. 11% of all workers even have the chance of seeing it. And again, if unions aren't very good, they won't even see it in there, right? So it's like the unions, you know, we we, we have a better job that we need to do right? We, I think this, this kind of study and others has shown that unions can move workers towards more racial to- tolerance. And you do that with solidarity practices and political education. And we do that by providing a class-based labor solidarity framework that shows that like, when, when a multiracial workforce fights together, we can all win. And that this is a better competing ideology than white nationalism, right? Both of those movements want to organize white workers, and they're kind of in competition with each other and it's like it's unclear who's going to succeed right so because people want to make sense of the world and explain the problems that they're facing so if a white worker has kind of a low-wage dead-end job bad health care all kinds of problems in their community it's possible that they could be attracted to the labor movement ideology let's organize a union and let's fight or they could be attracted to white nationalism Let's stick together on the basis of race and keep everyone else down. Um, these are competing ideologies. And I want the labor movement class-based ideology to win. And that's why I want unions to do the best job they can at like being democratic and inclusive institutions that forge multiracial solidarity. Because I think that will be attractive to more white workers, it will organize them, and it will deliver the goods. And it will weaken support for white nationalist fascism which i think is a really really big problem in the country so that's why i'm really excited about this kind of research and the possibilities for unions to play a really active role right in the fight against white nationalism
0: uh, right and uh, one thing came to mind eric when you speak about with the decline in um uh, union density union membership i mean uh, I mean, I almost feel like when you read about uh, some uh, species or subspecies of a wild animal where they don't think there's enough of them to continue to uh, exist, that their genetic pool is so small, uh, be it, you know, a, a white rhino somewhere, uh, you know, at 6%, you know, we're in a death spiral. Um, and the challenge of uh, uh, both, you know, I divide it up in a way, big L labor, and I have plenty of respect for many individuals I've associated with. Uh, in, you know, in uh, office positions, business managers, business reps, and the worker movement, which is, I think you could look at it a little differently. Um, but we've, you know, we lost that uh, uh, union ideology, like you say, with the loss of numbers. And also we've lost that kind of muscle memory uh, of union households uh, when it comes to solidarity uh, at the picket line, if you will. I mean, uh, a few decades ago, uh, you crossed the picket line, you know, uh, your seat at Thanksgiving dinner table might be a jeopardy. I mean, you know, if you if you came from a union household, uh, but now there's such fewer union households that uh, people find it, I think, a lot easier. I think the, the case was in work was the strike at Ellen's uh, Stardust Diner, where, you know, supposedly woke people didn't have a problem uh, crossing that picket line. Uh, we have to get an economy, you know, the, what's going to defeat the white nationalist movement, in my opinion, is uh, getting economy that people feel will be working for themselves. And the clock's ticking, in my opinion, on that one.
1: No, abs- ab- yeah, absolutely. It's I mean, I think it's, it's a decline in solidarity and, and people who understand kind of a class based solidarity. I mean, if 11 percent of all workers are in unions, I think it's about 20 percent. Of, of all adults are in a union household. Um, and so like 80% are not. And oftentimes the folks who are not don't have a good understanding of what unions are and what the labor movement is, what a strike is, what a picket line is, what a boycott is. And they may be, you know, they may not be supportive of those kinds of struggles. And I think you're right. It's like in order to have the best kind of economy that's going to work for the most people, we absolutely need a larger and more dynamic, and more militant, and more fighting labor movement, I don't know how else we're going to get it. I mean, if we don't have a stronger labor movement, we're not ever going to successfully fight for better policies. If we had a stronger labor movement, we'd probably have, you know, 15 bucks an hour right now, a minimum wage, whereas whereas right now, we, we may not get that, um, and, and plenty of other policies. And so, you know, as the labor movement has declined, as you said, death spiral, absolutely, 6%. Of all workers in the private sector are in a union. Those are the, that's the same numbers as a century ago, over a century ago, right? I mean, we really we're, we're, we're recreating what used to happen in the past. Um, the economy doesn't work for more and more people. We have more inequality. We have more anxiety. More people in in bad dead end jobs. Um, you know, th- think about uh, the misery that this is causing. Um, and so, we need to fight for a better economy. That means uh, that means a stronger labor movement that delivers the goods for people brings more democracy to the workplace and shows you know white and black workers that were stronger working together i mean it's like a stronger labor movement in a sense is a solution to so many so many issues i mean it solves so many problems um, you know but of course you know as we talked about last time organizing a union and fighting for better conditions is extremely difficult it is a it is a huge challenge um, there's so many obstacles in the way of doing that. And so that's the challenge of the labor movement, broadly speaking, which also includes worker centers, worker solidarity groups, which I know you're involved with, and, and I have been too, is to find ways to organize and provide support for people that are organizing. And I look, I, I have no easy answers to offer. We talked about, last time we talked about um, various possibilities. Um, but, but that is the key, is that we need to find ways of of increasing organizing, doubling, tripling the size of the labor movement, right?
0: right I'm, I'm, even in the uh, the fight for 15 uh I'll just throw this out if we had a a, a if we had a, 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 the right density of union membership in this country of, of workplace organizing we wouldn't even be worried about fighting for 15 Eric because you know because to me fight for 15 I won't gainsay that if I was making 8 bucks an hour 15 is great but you know typically it's over years and it gets you know exemptions and by the time you, we would get to 15 he hasn't caught up uh, we wouldn't even uh, perhaps we wouldn't have to be worrying about that because in our collective bargaining agreements we would have, have gotten that and better uh, you know I mean I, I'm not arguing against fighting for 15 but it's like someone posted just uh, recently on labor lines it's 15 plus union
1: yeah I mean, there's a few dynamics of work here I mean when so many people are making less than 15
0: um,
1: or maybe, maybe just above 15 some of them may, might resent setting a higher minimum wage because they're like well you know, I mean, like you know, I'm, uh, why should those people get fifteen? You know, again, they're not right. seeing it in terms of the solidarity framework, right? But also, you know, let's keep in mind that when unions set higher wages, you know, for for so many workers in the economy, that often raises wages for non-union workers too. This has absolutely been documented, because even non-union companies, in order to compete, um, would have to raise their wages. And in fact, folks at the Economic Policy Institute (EPI), you know, they've they've done studies for a long time. They've shown that. Non-union workers have lost out on hundreds of billions of dollars a year in wages because union density is so low, because there's just not this impact of non-union employers having to raise their wages as much. So, again, she's like, even if 20, 30, 40 percent of workers are in a union, even if it's not everybody, it lifts the boat for everybody, which I think most people just do not realize. Maybe it's a hard concept. I think it probably is. Um, But I think that's the kind of thing needs to be explained to folks, that it helps everybody.
0: They'll get up when the unions are gone, Eric. You know, the paraphrase, you know, the paraphrase, what came out of uh, Nazi Germany, you know, when it came for the unions, I, I didn't worry. I wasn't in a union. They'll get up when the unions are gone. My personal experience, I worked as a logging manager uh, for a lumber mill in northwestern Montana. And I, I haven't been there in 20, well, a number of years. I haven't worked for them in more than a number of years. But there were three big multinational plants up there multinational corporations were up there uh louisiana pacific uh cal you know the south and then they uh they they moved out to the west over time and i worked for a family mill and that owner wanted to keep it in the family if you will and he waited till the uh woodworkers union signed their contracts with those three lp mills and then he more or less matched them and uh, i mean but trust me i got to know the man well he didn't do it out of the kindness of his heart uh he, he did it because he didn't want the union coming in he didn't want to lose his workers to the union plants
1: yeah that's right that's great 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 story i think it's true um now of course you know, we, we want those workers to also organize but i think that this shows the effects
0: right uh that when you have a
1: stronger labor movement you will raise standards for everybody else and it will increase our power to fight for better standards like a 15 dollars minimum wage or medicare for all or things like that you know with 11 of all workers we're just not strong enough particularly we're just too weak in too many states like for instance in your state of idaho the labor movement is very weak and, and you're dealing with a lot of conservative politics i think it would just be really great to see more organizing and i know you're working on it you have a very tough environment it's easy for me to talk i'm in new york city um, we absolutely need to increase organizing in, in the so-called red states and in rural states. There's no reason why we can't. Workers have problems at work. Workers want to want to solve those problems. Union organizing is the solution, right? You'll have to tell me how to do it, though, right?
0: Yeah, it, it's interesting. In Idaho, I was visiting one night. I was coming home. I told a story. I was, I was coming home one night, uh, 10, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock. I come to uh, construction and need a flagger out, and I start speaking with her. And, you know, I flag, I like flagging, actually, people think of me, I'm kind of unusual, but you, you meet a lot of people, you talk a lot of people, 99% of the interaction great. Anyways, uh, you know, I'm a flagger with the labor's union. I said, I got to ask you, I, I said, can I ask you what you make? And she said, I make eight bucks an hour. I said, whoa, sister, (laughs) it's like, you know, you know, we don't put our boots on for eight bucks an hour is all I can say. And she looked at me and before I was over, I gave her the phone number to my business manager. Uh, The unions, I'm going to quote a man that spoke and written in 15 languages, Uh, throw a little of my personal beliefs in here, but he wrote and spoke in 15 languages. So I'm going to say he picked his words carefully and he described unions as an indispensable part of society. And indispensable to me, like oxygen, like water. Uh, And that was uh, John Paul II when he wrote his encyclical on uh, uh, social justice and the common good in relation to labor. Uh, Unions are the indispensable part of our society. Eric, you get it. You're doing some great work there in New York City. Anything you want to say as we wrap this up?
1: Yeah, I know. I'll just I'll just say I'm glad you brought up the issue of of like flaggers on highways, a very dangerous job. I recently saw an article that, um, you know, there was a tragic accident where a laborers member was killed flagging in Illinois. Um, But the article said something interesting. It mentioned that um, the last time that had happened was decades ago in the 70s. And when that happened, that local went on strike and basically forced the state to form a workplace safety committee a multi-stakeholder that improved safety regulations for flaggers on the highways such that those kinds of accidents where people are hit by drivers are much less frequent now, that kind of thing. This is Illinois where they have a strong labor movement and they're able to do this. That means like, likely dozens of workers who do flagging for a living have had their lives saved over the years through these better safety conditions. It's like, we want to bring that to Idaho and other states, but we're never going to do that unless we have a stronger labor movement, right?
0: Absolutely. That's well put. Right. It, it, it goes well behind uh, wages. Uh, and and also the argument is that when uh, those safety standards were put in place, thanks to unions, um, they were working for all workers. They didn't, you know, it, it, but it just it's just so much uh, more more conducive to uh, be able to challenge unsafe work conditions uh with a union card in your pocket, Uh, still difficult in the United States, but far better than if if you don't. But if those rules are being enforced at the state level by the Department of Transportation, uh, union or not, you can thank the union.
1: Yeah, absolutely. They they made things safer for all flaggers in Illinois, union and non-union. And hopefully that's also made things safer in other states as other states adopt those practices too. But it took a fight. It It took organized workers
0: to do that fight, as we know Right. You know, in fact, I just recertified as a flagger and, uh, you know, the standards come down. I mean, if you're working on a, a federal project and almost every highway project has federal money in it, uh, the standards are right there. Uh, the buffer zone, uh, uh, the speed speed zones, what you can do or can't do, uh, are all laid out because those have been nationally enforced standards. And I'll guarantee you, you're right. They they came from the the uh, unions the, uh, and and uh, but they're good for everybody. If you're working a right to work state for that eight bucks an hour. Absolutely.
1: So again, this, this applies through so many different kinds of jobs and throughout the economy. And I think this is something that, you know, some non-union non-union workers may not realize that the dynamics of this. Um, and so we have to educate folks and then help them organize. And because what we're, what we're saying is organizing is not easy and it's a challenge. It provokes a lot of anxiety. People are worried about losing their jobs. They absolutely need to be supported with solidarity. So we'll, let's figure out how to do that job.
0: You've got it, Eric. Eric uh, uh your article in Organizing.org. Uh, I encourage anyone uh, out there hearing this to uh, look it up. Some fascinating articles there from a... Pretty unique perspective, I will say, uh, but uh, certainly worthwhile. Uh, What I say is, uh, our differences among the worker movement, our differences, pale against our solidarity. Absolutely, you got it. Okay, Eric, thank you so much. You have a good rest of your day. And what do we call the weekend? We call that a union-made product. (laughs) Yeah, thank the unions for the weekend. That's right. That's right. God bless you, man. Keep in touch. Thanks. Bye bye.